Hello and welcome to Studio P3. You're listening to our Explore the Symphony podcast with Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler, coming to you from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I'm your host, Marjolaine Fournier, Assistant Principal Bass of the NAC Orchestra. In this episode, we look at Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto. Music must come from the heart and go to the heart. That's what he said, and I think it 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 capsules the whole the, what what his music was about. But there has been there have been big changes there in his life, and the major change was, of course, 1917 when the Russian Revolution took place, and he was on the other side of the Russian Revolution. He was on the rich side, he was on the nobility side, he was on the the the, the very gifted side also, and uh, and uh, then left for the United States. He will compose 75 percent of his works before his 45th birthday he was 44 when he left and in in the last years until his 70th when he he died um, he will compose only 25% of the work so there's there is a big difference he's a very very gifted man i mean the uh, one of his one of his uh, uh, comrades one of his uh, uh, pupils that were, were studying with him um, this, uh, remembers he he, he said uh, he was it was no no thing short of phenomenal you know he had a jaw dropping ability as a pianist and as a composer um, the, the example he gives is that zilotti zilotti was the teacher was a piano teacher. He was also the uncle of Rachmaninoff, very gifted family. And uh, Z- uh, Zilotti asks in class Rachmaninoff to work on the variations in fugue on a theme by Handel, by, uh, by uh, Johannes Brahms. It was on a, ma- on a Wednesday. Three days later, Rachmaninoff, Rachmaninoff played it by heart and in an unbelievable way. This is quoted from one of the, the students. I think it's Alexander Goldenweiser who wrote that. So anyhow, this is an extraordinary thing, an extraordinary musician born in 1873 um, in Novgorod and then uh, who, uh, who, who will go to the conservatory in St. Petersburg, go to the conservatory in Moscow, um, has as teacher Zilotti, his uncle, another, another great pianist, Zverev, then has, uh, for composition has as teachers Arensky, one of the great uh, admirers of uh, Tchaikovsky, and of course another friend of Tchaikovsky, the pianist. Taneyev, who was also a composer, um, who will be hel- well putting together the third uh, piano concerto by Tchaikovsky, but who will be also the, the the one who really brings forward and helps Tchaikovsky in surmounting the negative criticism of Rubinstein on his first piano concerto. Taneyev 
will play it. Daniel was also the one who will play for the first time the Brahms piano concertos. So the Brahms piano concertos are in the background, and uh, and Tchaikovsky is in the background. To the point that 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 the very gifted Rachmaninoff, who composed very quickly a symphonic poem, he's about 16 or 17 at that time, uh, composes also a first piano concerto and a op- an opera called Aleko. And at the evening of the premiere of that opera, Tchaikovsky is in the public and he will lead the applause that evening. So um, Tchaikovsky's world, the great romantic Russian world, the, uh, and that's, that's, that's his background. He's so good. He's also a very good conductor. Um, he will be. Uh, he will be a bit later, but when he's uh, thirty, uh, early thirties, he will be the director of the Mamontov uh, uh, Theater and of the Bolshoi Theater. But that doesn't last very long, does oh, it? Oh, t- two years. Two years. Yes, from 1904 to 1906, because there are already revolutions happening. 1906 is the first revolution, the, the first moments of revolution. So there, there, there are things happening in society. And uh, uh, and by the way, 1906 is the year that Shostakovich was born. So you, you see the transformation of society coming in at, at that point. So he uh, he is. Uh, he's very, very successful. He's v- very good at everything he touches. And then suddenly he throws himself into a first symphony. And that first symphony, uh, uh, which he composed, uh, which, he, which is premiered in uh, springtime 1897, so three years before 1900, uh, is conducted by, by Glazunov, who was the head of one of the um, music schools. Glazunov, composer, and, um, and of course, all the co- everybody was always there, you know, the, the whole gang of musicians and composers for, for these premieres. And, uh, and in the hall, there is César Cui who is also part of the group of five composers that, 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 that made the headlines at that time in uh, Russia and uh, who was also a, um, a critic. So Glazunov conducts um, uh, the, the first symphony, but Glazunov has you know, good old Russian culture, uh, has drank too much and is inebriated and uh, has not been conducting very well. Um, I must say that in my long career of music critic, I have, I have seen conductors having, having had a good little drink before they started. And very difficult for pianists to work with them at, if they play piano concertos. Now, we're talking about the first symphony. It is a total catastrophe. And then the next day, of course, in the newspapers, César Cui writes a... a, a very negative article about the first symphony, and and uh, and suddenly for three years, for three years, uh, 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 Rachmaninoff will be paralyzed in his creativity. He will he will be uh, he will have psychosomatic pains in his arms, in his legs, and uh, this is a a, a big problem. And so he's paralyzed literally. He's paralyzed. You know, the, the hands don't follow anymore. The the, the 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 arms don't follow anymore, and so it, it, there is. Uh, and then, of course, in his 
creativity is totally, totally impotent. Yeah, the you know? power of the critic. Power of the critic, but that was good old times, you know. <laughs> the, the, that has disappeared. That has changed very much now. You know? So there's a, a quite a mystifying uh, episode where his family decides Rachmaninoff is so talented, he was doing so well, let's try to find a solution. Yeah. They bring in a hypnotherapist. A hypnopsychotherapist, whatever we want to call it. His name is Niels Dahl, a very famous uh, uh, hi uh, hypnotherapist, as you as you call it, and uh, he uh, and he he works with him, and it and it does work. It does work. He says, "Go back to piano, compose a another piano concerto," and then then suddenly we have this extraordinary second piano concerto coming out, and then and and then creativity just explodes. Because until this fall, uh, until this. Uh, illness, mm -hmm. if you want to call mm -hmm. it that. Uh, Rachmaninoff thought that he was at the avant-garde. He thought he was finding new ways of writing and he was creating something very new. The therapist says, keep it simple. Yeah. Go back to simple. And some people have said that the role of therapy in certain composers' careers is a little bit like... Um, Making uh, taking away from creativity. Do you agree with that? Well, they'll be yourself. Be yourself. And you know, Rachmaninoff, Rachmaninoff will be himself. So he will relax within his own problems and, and he will take distance with those problems and just the music will flow out. And that's what happens. You know, he writes himself, a composer's music should express the country of his birth, his love affairs, his religion, he, the books that have influenced him, the pictures he loves. It should be the sum, the total sum of a composer's experience. And, and so once he found that out, <laughs> he will become that anachronistic composer <laughs> who will feel himself totally at ease in, 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 in romantic music. And I, I, you know, what, what I'm saying is an objective thing. I mean, I'm not saying this is good music or bad music. There, there is only good music and, 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 and or bad music. And this is good music. This is good music. It is anachronistic, and it is when he gets into the 20th century, and you know he will continue composing until 1943. Uh, 40, uh, but he will... He, he will be himself, and one can recognize Rachmaninoff right away. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, because I've, I fell in love with the second concerto, of course, when I was in school, and I couldn't believe what I heard, but I fell in love before I knew how, uh, before I was told how bad his music was, how yes. much candy oh, yeah. it was. And it's true. People, even in the Groves Dictionary, they say this. Yeah. yeah. Listen, Stravinsky, Stravinsky called him cold and aloof, a six and a half foot tall scowl. That's what, <laughs> it, what he called him. And then uh, listen to, to Arendt Copeland, who said, oh, this old-fashioned guy. The sp the pro and then on top of that, the prospect of having to sit through one of his extended symphonies or piano concertos tends, quite frankly, to depress me. All those notes, and to what end? 
you know, but all those notes are there for, for Rachmaninoff to express himself and to and it comes from the heart and goes straight to the heart of the people. Rachmaninoff is one of the most one of the most um, most beloved composers and uh, in, in classical music and one of the most difficult ones for pianists. <laughs> Now let's talk about the, the difficulty and then we'll get into the third concerto but This is the thing. He was six foot five or six foot six, yeah. and the his hands were colossally big. And I was reading this, and if the people who who can please please try this. With his left hand, he could play C, E flat, G, then the other C, mm -hmm. and then another G yes. in one hand. Yeah. But that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's it, huge. It, it, it was a, an absolute gift, an absolute gift. There are notes that, that most of the pianists cannot play. And they have to find uh, technical ways or to, 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 to get around it, which is possible, obviously. There, there is a fashion of playing, and I was glad to hear, because, uh, by the way, there are uh, recordings of Rachmaninoff in existence, him playing himself, which... One of the techniques that he uses, I thought it was mostly like for Schumann that you did this, where the, both the hands don't exactly play together, you know? And I think that would help somebody with average hands to play Rachmaninoff if he's allowed to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, the two hands don't exactly mm -hmm. uh, synchronize and it's, it's a, when done well, it's beautiful. So how can anybody play Rachmaninoff if they don't have this... Uh, huge, uh, these huge hands to play with. There are techniques to get around that. There are yeah. techniques, but there are notes that are not being played. There is, there is one note, according to one pianist, uh, a friend of mine, that uh, nobody can play, nobody could play except Rachmaninoff. So that, that uh, in, in, uh, in his uh, Rhapsody uh, on a theme of Paganini, which he composed later in life, uh, so absolutely wonderful work, and which is in fact his fifth piano concerto. Short, but very Truly, fifth, in a way, in you're a way, right. Yes, yes. Yes. And so there, there are ways to get around uh, some of those difficulties. But he had this absolute natural gift of, uh, of and could get to the piano and play anything, anything he wanted to play. By memory he could repeat a symphony he heard the night before absolutely he had once. the same gift mozart had yeah. he had the same gift mozart and the had. thing about the piano playing when you hear it on a record is that it's very you think those big hands had big huge body that he would have he would be a bit of a banger you know but no it's very fluid it's very light everything yes. comes out very uh, clear detaché you know yeah absolutely Pronounced. and that's the way it should be played that's then you know there was some some pianists think oh yes this is Rachman enough let's Big get Russian boots uh, you know, be, no. be, yeah like a, 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 a Russian tank coming mm -hmm. into you know and some of them have done that but have never survived really the, the, the concertos as such and don't play them well so the, the, the Some of, of course, some of the great pianists know what to do with this. This is the variations in the second movement of that that third piano concerto, for example, in under the in the hands of a, a person like Emil Gilles are dreamt of you know they're they're like dreams that just pass by and and then of course this is the most difficult thing to do the, the most difficult thing that to put in that fluidity you know it, it's it's 
glittering, it's shimmering. All those colors and all the piano is is, is glittering. The, the, there is somewhere in the background when you when you play it well, the, there is something of that nobility of the heart of Rachmaninoff that 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 should be in there also. As you know, a, it, the, the aristocratic quality of the expression that 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 goes with it. You know, f- forget about you know the the the, the Hollywood way of of taking it over because that has been his big problem of course Hollywood loved his melodies he had this inc- wonderful invention of melodies and then Hollywood will use it in all kinds of movies Greta Garbo in 1932 in Grand Hotel Frank Sinatra uh, in, with the, the Tommy Dorsey uh, uh, hit uh, orchestra of course uh, and with the hits called Full Moon and Empty Arms and there are all kinds of all other elements that, that have been used out of out of his uh, out of the number of melodies that he has composed second piano concerto certainly but in the third piano concerto also although I think the third piano concerto much more uh, symphonic but you know it's much more like the Brahms piano concertos and especially the second piano concerto by Brahms in which the piano just leads from the beginning to the end uh, the, the symphonic waves that on which it is carried <laughs> Jean-Jacques, even though I would love to talk more about the, this man, this yeah, the, strange this character. This anguished introvert, An introvert, tall yes. guy. Yes. And you can just see him slouching a little bit. Let's talk about his, his um, concerto. What speaks for him? Yes. Well, I... Um, uh, That, that, that third concerto, of course, in comparison with the second one, is much is a, a much larger concert, a concerto. The, fir- the, the second one is is about 30 minutes long, to, depending on the pianist and the tempi they're taking. Of course, between 30 and 34 minutes. This one is between 41 and 43 minutes. So this, this 10 minutes is is quite a lot. Uh, the also the, uh, the 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 piano, as I said a little bit before, the piano is 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 totally in charge. And, uh, my opinion of the of the of the movements of the of the piano concerto it's also one of the most most difficult ones in the repertoire i i i would compare it in difficulty to the second or the first piano concerto by brahms um, I, i remember what gilel said about that I, i i told him you know you have you have recorded the two piano concertos by brahms uh, why don't you play the first piano concerto in public you only play the second piano piano concerto he said i'm not ready for it he was in his 50s he was in his 50s i'm not ready for the first piano concerto many pianists can play the second concerto by rachmaninoff many pianists have difficulties with the third piano concerto of rachmaninoff that's what i'm saying so there are three movements to it a very vast first movement an allegro but not too fast not non tanto um, in which you, you, the first the, the first theme is is of great simplicity in which he goes back to some you know is slightly influenced by the by the by the russian religious uh, songs you know he has he he was uh, he has got Composed some some religious music also you know beautiful vespers for example um, he uh, but it's a very simple melody the orchestra will play it and the piano will start its ornamentations and they're brilliant they're complex they but it it doesn't seem like that you know these these are 
puffs of dreams and the dreams of being and and um, and that's why people love it i'm sure that's why people love it um and then there come then we we get to a, a short motive by the by the orchestra rhythmic motive and that opens up the second theme piano develops it opens development progressive crescendo and that goes to the summit of the of that movement calms down and then we go into the cadenza now he he has composed two cadenzas one very difficult and one very very difficult <laughs> and so pianists <laughs> just choose and most of the time people don't 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 really hear it because when when they choose the very very difficult one they play it as easily of course the, uh, the, the, the as as the other one then there is the intermezzo the second movement beautiful second movement uh, and uh, in which the orchestra is, is, is hands out the theme and then it is followed by a series of variations by the piano he loved that you know variations it's because that was his way of composing really so, so to, to get into the variations and then show what the piano could do with that theme which he had uh, then invented but in that in that series of variations the, the the first theme of the allegro the first movement reappears he does that very often you know he likes that kind of cyclical unit um in within his symphonies and also in his piano concertos he does that in the first movement of course the theme of the first movement comes in the second and will come also in the last movement now that last movement is an alla breve very rhythmic work it's a brilliant brilliant uh, vital vital movements with uh, two a extraordinary summits for the piano taken over by the by the by the uh, by the orchestra uh, which uh, leave people out of breath and sometimes the pianist also i must say the first time i heard it was i i have been very lucky i mean the first time i heard the second piano concerto was with arthur rubinstein who milked it so beautifully <laughs> and the second one the, the the third piano concerto i heard uh, with uh, emil gerels who was preparing the famous recording he made with andre cluitens and l'orchestre des conservatoires of paris and so it was in my old hometown in antwerp in belgium and i said to myself i want to hear this again so the next day he played it in brussels I went to Brussels and the next day he repeated that in Brussels and so I went back to Brussels so I heard it three times in a row that third piano concerto never forgot it these are moments that you say this is it and it's unfortunately it's unfortunately it was the first time I heard it perfectly played and uh, I still have it in mind mm. maybe to to finish I'm I'm a little bit puzzled he he left Russia he went, he had a house in, in Europe, but mainly he was in the States. And, he, you know, if I were to move as a musician, I would go maybe to New York, to Chicago, to Boston. He was even offered a conducting job there. Yes, absolutely. But he picked, now independently of anything, he picked California and Hollywood. Mm -hmm. uh, he had friends there. He finished his life there. Mm -hmm. He didn't pick uh, um, the... the you know the the city with the biggest orchestra, the the best uh, stimulation for uh, 
I, I must say there was uh, quite some things happened in California at that time. There was there was quite some music created in California during that time. Um, uh, 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 it, this your question reminds me a discussion I had with West Coast and East Coast critics, uh -huh. <laughs> and the East Coast critics were saying what you were saying, and the West Coast critics said, "Forget about it." Lots of things were happening at that yeah, time in I, the West Coast. I so, realize yeah. I'm denigrating right no, no, now. The, 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 and I San do Francisco, think, and, and at LA. that point, at that yeah. point, uh, new things were coming out of of of, uh, and especially with those all those emigres. You know, some of them were writing. The things they were they had in mind, other ones went forward, you know. Um, and uh, you know, Stravinsky changed completely, and Stravinsky was very important at that point. But then you had the other ones around Schoenberg. You had uh, you had some of the uh, of the uh, of the Austrian composers also around there. You know, very 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 interesting, very interesting time. So he went also to California, and then of course, who doesn't like to live in California, and who doesn't like to make a little bit of money because of the movies in in Hollywood? So all these elements together certainly uh, helped him. But this being said, I remember very well, uh, uh, and I can quote him. The loss of my homeland was combined with the feeling of being lost myself. The exile is robbed of his musical roots and traditions and as a result lacks any inclination to express his own personality. And that is hard. So that's why most probably he composed far less, although he composed some masterworks, but far less in that second period after 1917 in the United States. So he finished his life there. He missed home, he couldn't go back. And there you have it. But beautiful music. Yes, he but left us. but but home home was Shostakovich and Shostakovich's writing metaphysical works at that time and that's another world. <laughs> Jean-Jacques, thanks again. My we'll pleasure. talk soon. Talk to you soon. That's all for this edition of Explore the Symphony. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to nacpodcasts at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nacpodcast.ca. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. Check out our sister podcast, the NACOcast, with Chris Millard, our principal bassoon. You can also easily find this podcast as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Explore the Symphony. The musical excerpts you heard in this podcast are used with the permission of Naxos of Canada. Until next time, this is Marjolaine Fournier for Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler and the new media team at the NAC saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.